Welcome, welcome, welcome to Historically Speaking with Professor Ed, as Farb and Jim usually call me. So this is the new segment I wanted to kind of spin off. I go on a lot about history during our regular episodes, but I wanted to kind of break off a new section to further break down what's currently going on in the world through an historical lens, um, and then just really drill into it a little bit more than I usually do. So for today's topic, how could you not be talking about uh, the appointment of Kamala Harris as Biden's VP? There is a ton of talk about Kamala's identity. What should we classify her as? You know, what does she identify as? She's a child of immigrants, one from South Asia of Indian descent, and her father is Jamaican, um, a Jamaican immigrant. So she's black, but she's also Indian, and she's immigrant, and she went to Howard University. How do you even begin to break this down? This inevitably made me think of the census and how it is the main tool that the government has used to deploy racism to this group versus that group. So in 1790, you know, this is after the American Revolution, these former 13 colonies needed to put together a constitution to understand exactly how uh, this new body of government was going to support 13 colonies, uh, which were then colonies that are now states. And part of that was creating a new democracy, a constitutionally developed democracy, its first in global history. So within the constitution, you need to understand exactly how to create an electorate to start electing officials, namely the president. So the census was used initially to understand the country's industrial and military capabilities, but it was mostly used to classify what category the enslaved would fall under and who the free folks would fall under, as you understand to be black and white. So this gave about to the three-fifths compromise, one of the three big pro-slavery tools that was baked into the Constitution from the beginning. Three-fifths compromise. Usually people understand, oh, three-fifths compromise said that black people were three-fifths of a human. That's not exactly right. I mean, I understand for rhetorical purposes why that sounds good, but what it really said was that three other persons would count as five free persons in representation in the House and the Electoral College and taxation. What this did is this gave Southern states who were disproportionately slave states, more national power in the federal government to elect presidents, but also to put people in the House in that portion of Congress. And the way that this made this happen is people nowadays understand, and most recently with the census, that you self-identify. You click the box that you check on your census report to say, I identify with this group um, for state resources or whatever. That's not how it worked back in the day. Back in the day, there would be state-appointed enumerators going door to door to basically write down in the clipboard what they thought you were. So for enslaved people, it was pretty clear. Uh, enslaved people of African descent, and they would be classified in the black race in the census, and people of European descent would be classified as being the white race, and would thus have a distinct legal designation and certain political rights when it comes to citizenship. And that's always been the case. So this is a precedent that is set in the first census in 1790 and goes all the way into the 1960s until people could start identifying themselves. So a couple of different ways, a lot of groups have entered the American uh, society since then. 
you talk about the Irish, the Polish, the Italians, after the you know independence of America, up until the Civil War, up until the 1924 Immigration Act, which was driven through eugenics to bar undesirable races from joining uh, American society. Italians and Irish and Polish were deemed to be separate races from the white race at this point, so they shut it down and stopped immigration. But the ones that were here already were kind of left in limbo. This is true for Mexican-Americans as well. Mexicans have been part of this country ever since the Mexican-American War, years before the Civil War, and Mexicans were designated as white and thus had certain rights. After the Immigration Act, eugenics carried the day, and there was this new wave of racism, which meant that in the 1930s census, Mexicans would no longer be classified as white, and they would be given their own race. They knew that this was very bad, There was a group called the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is basically like the NAACP, but for folks of Latin descent. They went to the courts immediately to try and win their white designation back and do away with the new category of race of Mexican in the census. Why would they do this? Because they knew if you were designated as white, you would get the full amount of citizenship that this country was built upon. So luckily in the 1940 census, they worked things out with Franklin Delano Roosevelt and got classified to be part of the white race again. Now, they did remain separate in terms of an ethnicity. If you notice that now, there's an ethnic identity as well as a racial identity in the census up until this day. And which is true with Asian as well, where nationalities within Asians, within the Asian continent could be their own race. So the League of United Latin American Citizens won what they were doing and got classified and got their rights again. This carried through until the New Deal. Now, the middle class as we we understand it today was completely indebted to the programs of the New Deal, Um, housing policy and the suburbanization of this country. Now, those neighborhoods that were green-lined, the opposite of red-lined, a lot of Mexicans and uh, Latinos and and, uh, Latinx folks moved into those neighborhoods. People White homeowners in those, in those neighborhoods weren't always ecstatic, and some of them even took these families to court to try and sue to get Latinx folks or Mexican folks out of their neighborhoods. But the courts sided with the Latin Americans because Latins were legally white in the Constitution. So they didn't lose their homes. This is something that Black folks that were in the census as, a, as belonging to a Black race could not do because housing policy was premised completely on this dichotomy of citizenship. And even after World War I, people who were of South Asian descent, of Indian descent, just like Kamala's mother, who fought in the war for soldiers, sued to be designated as white in the census to gain better citizenship rights. In some states that they won, in some states that they lost. But this was a clear, there's a clear interest in this designation. They were not suing to have blonde hair and blue eyes. You know what I mean? That's not what they were suing for. They were suing for the legal designation and the political rights, the suite of rights that come with being a full citizen in this country. Um, And that is something Black Americans never had the ability to sue for and can never get as long as the census has a category of white and a category of Black that this country was built on. That brings us to the 1960s. It is no longer the case that somebody knocks on your doors and says, hey, this is what you are. We are now able to self-identify, and that's opened a lot of new doors in America. But you can never forget about the damage that was done or the ordering of society that was premised on the old census, um, which remains to this day. And this is a tool that other countries 
did not use. I mean, the UK census did not create a category for ethnicity until the 1990s because they didn't have a caste system of segregation the way that America does. So this is what got me thinking about, I'm excited for, for Kamala's appointment to the VP, but when we think about her identity, how she identifies versus how she's classified, keep the census in mind. All right, that's all I got. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace.